Welcome to the Sanctuary Podcast, hosted by Angel Deer. In this podcast, we explore the mysteries of spirituality and consciousness. In each episode, we dive deep into the realms of human experiences, our rapidly changing world, and the unseen realms, tapping into the universal wisdom that connects us all. Whether you're a seasoned spiritual seeker, starting to awaken to the possibilities of a more expansive reality, or want support on your journey, this podcast is for you. Join me as we explore topics such as shamanism, spiritual transformation, holistic healing, the medicine path, energy healing, plant medicine, ancient wisdom, and more. Our guests are respected elders and experts in their fields, and we'll learn from their insights and experiences as we journey together on the path of spiritual growth. If you can, please consider supporting this podcast by joining our Patreon page at patreon.com slash the sanctuary and why. Once again, it is patreon.com slash the sanctuary and why. Now, let's dive into today's episode. So welcome everyone and Sandra, big welcome. Um, I was sharing right before we got online with Sandra that the reason I'm on this path is because of you, Sandra. Uh, 25 years ago, I was uh, working in, in the business and and someone told me about this shamanic journeying practice. And there was this online workshop with you. And I listened to shamanic journeys. I did one and I was really moved by it and that got me really curious about shamanism and so it feels kind of really special to be with you uh today uh 25 years later (laughs) 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 it it took a bit of time for us to connect that way but you know we've been connected in in so many other ways before that so i wanted to welcome also everyone that is here live and that is listening to the recording and i just want to introduce you sandra and, you know, I'm not going to read Sandra full bio because uh, she's done so many things, written so many books uh, that, you know, we will spend too much time on that. But I'll just read the beginning of it. So Sandra is a world-renowned teacher of shamanism, is recognized for bridging ancient cross-cultural healing methods with modern cultures. She taught for 40 years, including workshops worldwide on shamanic journeying, healing, and reversing environmental pollution using spiritual methods. And Sandra is a licensed marriage and family therapist, a professional mental health counselor, and a board certified expert on traumatic stress. And I just want to mention uh, for everyone, probably many of you that are here have read some of Sandra's book, but she's authored 12 books including Soul Retrieval, Mending the Fragment Itself, Medicine for the Earth, Walking in Light, The Book of Ceremony, and many others. We'll put all of that under this talk, and we'll put the links towards, you know, Sandra's website and the podcast and the video that she offers so generously very often. So, Sandra, welcome. Thank you. And thank you for showing up, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Really good to be with you. And so the subjects I wanted to discuss today, you know, came on a reflection of uh, someone I know um, a few months ago, 
where I was talking about shamanism and, you know, why those ancient practices. And that look at me very puzzled by it. And that was kind of telling me, uh, oh, you kind of want to return to cave age, right? You want to return to living in the forest. You're, this is for the past. This is not for now. Mm. And so I know you've been doing that work for so long, right? Bridging these ancient rituals and practices with uh, the life now, today's this world. So I would love to hear, Sandra, to start a little bit about your perspective on the relevance of shamanism in the complicated world we're in, I guess. <laughs> yeah, well, um, um, shamanism, the practice of shamanism dates back um, over 100,000 years. And if you follow the, the history of the world and shamanism, um, we have had so many cultures that were more advanced in technology, were more advanced in plumbing, um, electricity, everything than, than we are. And they're all gone now. They all exterminated themselves um, through the power of greed and, and, and power over. Um, and so... Uh, it's it's a really kind of interesting subject because um, people see their lives in a particular way without looking at the past and looking at the future, where we've been and where we're going. So we've been where we are now so many times. I mean, just so many times. And basically, the culture that we've created is the same kind of culture that went extinct many, many times. And the power of shamanism is teaching people how to work with life, how to engage fully in life, how to be embodied and not a talking head on technology, um, which most people are. Um, if you ask those same people um, who said you want to return to cave life, if you ask them if they're truly happy and if they're really healthy and if they feel really good in their bodies, I would I would be really surprised if they said yes. I'm, I'm sure some of them are, but so stuck in illusion, they don't even know what they're missing. So we're living in this 2D world. Um, some people call it a 3D world. I call it a 2D world. And basically, we're missing whole dimensions of reality, whole dimensions of life. And so what shamanism brings to us is a sense of connection, a sense of connection to everything. And one of the things that um, people have been sharing um, over the past few years is how lonely we are species-wise. We're, we're really lonely. And people are, are saying that and people are writing books on it and it's become a really big topic. We're just connected to our own little heads and to our own little minds that are spinning around. And we don't realize that we're connected to all of nature 
and that all of nature is aware of us and we're aware of all of nature and we're missing so much of life. And so in a shamanic culture, the very first thing that um, children were taught were how to live a good life. They were taught how to think, how to what words they use. Um, they were taught about their daydreams and what their daydreams create. They were taught about how to look within instead of looking without for their issues and how not to project um, onto other people. And we're missing all that information that children got in shamanic cultures. And so we're looking at humans right now, and humans are really sick because they're not paying attention to what they're putting into their mouths, and they're not paying attention what's coming out of their mouths, which is a real shamanic practice. And so people have are really sick in our culture. And so the relevance of shamanism is connecting us back to our body, connecting us back to life, connecting us back to nature, connecting us back to the sun, the moon, the stars. Um, these are what really rule our world. Um, mm -hmm. And we've decided that humans rule our world, and we don't. And so we're getting into deeper, deeper trouble. Um, so the the reemergence of shamanism in the modern world has been a real way to bring spiritual practices back into businesses, back into schools, back into hospitals, back into people's lives where positive change is happening. Yeah. Thank you for that. I mean, I think it's very clear for people that are practicing that or the reason we're in, you know, it's because we witness the, the illness, you know, in the system, the illness in society. And we're looking for a way to, to relate better, to feel better, right, to, to connect better. I was wondering, I mean, you've been teaching for, you know, over 40 years. <laughs> Yeah. Did you did you see a shift? Maybe I, I don't know what the reason why, what brought you to that 40 years ago, but do you see a shift in relevance? You know, why people were in those, going into those practices or maybe why you were into it 40 years ago compared to today? Or do you think it's still the same? There's a, kind of the same relevance or there's kind of a shift now in why people are interested into those ancient practices? Well, I don't actually uh, think that there's a real shift in the interest of people. I mean, there's more people interested, basically, because all the books and all the podcasts and all of that. But um, there's a real difference in who shows up to study shamanism than um, who I worked with back in the um, 80s and the 90s and the early 2000s. And it was, we were all ex-hippies, um, even though politicians showed up to the workshops, um, priests and nuns showed up to the workshop, doctors and lawyers, but they were all hippies. And um, we came together and we danced and we sang and we practiced as hard as we could. And we had such a commitment and the miracles that we saw in every workshop was absolutely extraordinary. It was like there was nothing we couldn't fix. And everybody put so much energy 
in. Um, so everybody left. I would leave. I, I wouldn't sleep for like a week after my workshops were over. And then when cell phones and computers came in, I started to notice that my groups were showing up at workshops completely exhausted and they couldn't put their cell phones down. They were so addicted to their cell phones, they just couldn't put them down. Even if I would ask people not to bring a computer or a cell phone in, my groups are pretty large and you'd see people sneaking fire ceremonies, sacred fire ceremonies. You see people reading their emails. And so technology has actually taken the sacredness away from um, shamanism. And so not all students, and I'm seeing another shift again um, as things are getting more challenging on the planet, but participants became so passive. It was like, just give me the information and they really didn't take it in and they didn't know how to hold space and they didn't know how to really engage in the ceremonies, no matter how much um, you gave them, because people were so exhausted. I mean, literally exhausted from being on technology 24-7. They came to the workshops. People I never met before would come up to me, and the very first thing that they'd say to me is, I cannot tell you how tired I am. And that went on and on for years. And so instead of me coming home and not sleeping for a week, I came home from my workshops and opened the front door and laid down in the hallway and couldn't move. That's how exhausted I was from teaching my groups. And now we're starting to see a little bit more of a shift in that people are getting uh, on their own that that passive stance is not working out so well. You know, they're not getting the true power of the work. They're not getting healthy. They're not seeing their life change in a positive way. And so people are now starting to see the, the true power of shamanism. Um, and most of them are entering through uh, the magic of nature. And once they enter into the magic of nature, they want to know more about the spirits and they want to know more about the power of the sun and they want to know more about the solar system and the galaxies and the moon and how ceremonies are, are done um, uh, to these by the instructions of these greater forces in our life. And so now we're starting to see a positive shift again where people are in so much pain that they're willing to dive a little bit deeper within. So mm -hmm. I kind of saw where people just got too passive. It was like, yeah, I, I finished this workshop, but I slept through the whole thing. And, you know, and so um, it really changed the dynamic of what we had in the beginning. I haven't taught in person since um, the COVID. I'm looking forward to teaching um, in person again. But I'm noticing in my online classes that people are starting to dive deeper within and mm. more energy into the work. Yeah, that, that's really interesting what you're sharing about uh, attention, right? I was reading an article um, last month that said that our attention span uh, went from, I think, 
a few hours, I'm talking middle of the last century to now around three minutes. Yeah. It's like the biggest drop. Like we cannot give attention more than three minutes, you know. And I always wonder, you know, when we listen to a podcast or maybe we're listening live, you know, how many of us, you know, are really just focused on that? Are we checking our phone? Are we checking other windows on our computer? Right. We have we have a very hard time to be present. And you know, I I see that for me, you know, and I kind of want to get your view on that, but as a probably an impairment or difficulty to access also the world of spirits because we need discipline, right? We need commitment. Yeah. We need to sit sometime for an hour, right? Before right. anything happened. Uh, so I see, you know, children now you see strollers and there is an iPad, right? There's a screen there when the mother is pushing the child around. And so I can really see the damage it's doing to our brains and our capacity to connect. So, I wonder a little bit about your practice around that, right? I'm sure because you're you're so busy, right? You're you're teaching, your books and all of that. So how do you create that space for yourself to disconnect? And how do you see that as still very important, you know, with all those years of practice to keep nurturing that connection to spirit and connection to those rituals and ceremonies? Well, I, I'm also dealing with some of the same attention span issues as everybody is. We're, we're all in the same place. And so for me, um, I've always, number one, I, I only practice when I have the energy to do it. So um, meaning if, if in my head I'm thinking about somebody I'm angry at or um, I just can't get clear or I'm tired or I'm worried about something. That's a time when I don't practice. I, you know, I, I pick my times and um, in my workshops, what I try to do is the same thing I do is if you sing and dance um, for a long period of time, your mind will quiet down in, in Siberia, which is more, where I look to for my work, um, the shamans can sing for three hours before they journey. Um, for me, I sing for, if I'm working on a client, I sing for about 20 to 30 minutes, and my journeys are like five minutes, but so much happened during that 30 minutes of singing that I didn't need a long journey to just get that last bit of information. And so doing something that helps you focus, I tell people, sing, dance, that's what shamans have always done. For some people, it's meditation. For some people, it's taking a walk. So when I was uh, teaching um, my first online courses, I would, uh, every day right before the course, I would walk for a few hours and I'd get these downloads from the spirits of what ceremonies to lead the group. So I was never prepared. I never used my outline. I just allowed the spirits to give me downloads. And so I tell my students, I, I try to get them. I keep working on this. It's very challenging teaching online. I've tried different ways, and now we start. I have everybody use some form of instrument. We all stand up together, and we all sing and dance together. 
and just try to get people um, to let go of their ordinary day. Um, mm. On Facebook, I would see people saying, yeah, I had a hard time doing the journey because I was cooking while the drumming was going on or my kid was screaming or I was driving in my car, which is not appropriate for journeying. Um, and so I try to train people in some of the old ways of how we can increase our attention by taking the time to do some sacred work, burning some sage, burning some incense that will clear your space, uh, lighting a candle that just lets you know some kind of different work is, is going on. Mm. So I do all those things so that my mind gets that this is no longer... Sandra Ingerman's regular life. Um, this is Sandra Ingerman at work to bring through because shamans, what all shamans are, are actual hollow bones for the spirits. The shaman himself or herself does nothing, absolutely nothing. You're just the hands and the voice for the spirits. So if you're not in a sacred space, how do the spirits get through? And what kind of link are you with the spirits? Um, there has to be a strong link between you and the spirits for any kind of magic to happen. And if you're looking at your cell phone and you're cooking and you're doing other things at the same time, how are the spirits supposed to find your heart? <laughs> how are they supposed to find you to come through? Hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely the, the challenge, you know, uh, definitely recognize that in, in the world we're living in. So I wonder, I want to go back a little bit in time. Uh, how did you get into that? And who was your first shaman teachers, you know, and you mentioned Mongolia, you mentioned, you know, the, where the world shamans and right shamans come from, but can you tell us a little bit, you know, was it always there for you. I'm always been curious a little bit about maybe a few minutes of talk on that. What, what called sure. you into it and what started you? What was the first time you said, because this is it. I think that is it. <laughs> well, it's a, it's, a, it's a lifelong story. And so I grew up in Brooklyn, New York. Um, I was always really um, just so in love with nature, even in Brooklyn, I could not believe how beautiful the earth was. And at the age of seven, I was hit by lightning, which is uh, typically seen as an initiation into a sh into shamanism. I, I grew up in a very in, in an immigrant neighborhood and very traditional. So talking about spiritual things was not not part of life and so I had to keep everything to myself I came home from school I sang to the birds and the trees I sang to the moon every night and then uh, by the age of 13 I grew up in the 60s and so by the age of 16 at 13 uh, marijuana and LSD and opiated hash had all were all right there for all of us. And so I started doing drugs when I was 13 and started having all these amazing experiences. And then my near-death experiences kept happening at the same time. I drove my car off a cliff by accident. 
Um, I drowned in Mexico and was brought back to life by CPR. Um, and so the initiations kept continuing. But my challenge was I had all this spiritual information. Ram Dass's book, Be Here Now, had come out. And we, we were all, you know, this generation of, yes, this is what we want. You know, we were um, protesting against the Vietnam War. Um, and, you know, it was a completely different culture. But my challenge was I had all this spiritual information, but I had no path. And so um, I was working at San Francisco State University, and I was also working at the school where I got my master's, the California Institute of Asian Studies. Now it's the Cal <clears throat> California Institute of Integral Studies. And um, somebody came into the office one day. I was working 60 hours to put myself through school, 60 hours a week, and I was taking 12 units, and God, I was so burnt out. And somebody said some guy was coming out from Connecticut. They had no idea who it was. Um, and it turned out to be uh, the anthropologist Michael Harner, and he came out and he taught a workshop on shamanic journeying. And the first journey I met my power animal and he started answering all my life's questions without even telling him what they were. And I was hooked. I found my path. And that was in Halloween of 1980 was my first workshop in shamanism. And I started teaching in 1983 when I was only 29. So... Mm -hmm. beautiful beautiful so you know we have many people in our community and i'm sure there's people that know you directly that are listening here i was wondering you know if you could share a little bit for people that are on the path you know what you see as the most important practice in shamanism today you know we are confronted like you say with being tired there is you know pressure of the system there is social inequality there is uh, environmental destruction. And so I wonder, you know, how do we, if you have some advice on how to navigate that and maybe what you see as the most pressing issues from your perspective, right, today and, and, and how to navigate that with this work? Yeah, well, <clears throat> um, when I was doing my research on how shamanism can reverse environmental pollution, I started studying the work of a man by the name of Neville. He was an amazing man who taught, he, you know, he wasn't a shamanic teacher, but he taught a lot of shamanic principles without knowing it. And he taught people how to create anything. You know, he, he was around uh, during the depression when people needed food, they needed um, houses and so, he taught people practices on how to create. And Neville has this saying that the whole vast world is yourself pushed out. The whole vast world is yourself pushed out. So the reason I'm sharing this is because it is the most important part of shamanic work. The most important part of shamanic work and what shamans talk about and what the grandmothers and, the, and grandfathers are trying to teach us is that everything is about our inner world. Whatever is in our inner world, we're going to see in our outer world. 
And that's just the way it is. This is knowledge that's been passed down for 100,000 years. And so the practice that was taught to children of what's the vibration of the words that are coming out of your mouth, and everybody can do a, a really short experiential, um, even if you don't journey, you can put on some music and you can imagine yourself being out in nature and saying the words that you love and watching how that vibration comes up and then comes back down on you and comes back on the world. Um, so like for me, I had a spirit, the Egyptian god Osiris, who taught me this practice of going out into nature and saying words out loud. And he had me start with the word brilliance. And think of the vibration that comes out of the word brilliance. Do you want to see that in your life versus some of the other words that we use? It's all hopeless. It's nothing's going to work. It's done. It's over that is actually going up into the universe and rains back down on you. That's just spiritual law. Every single tradition teaches that. Mm -hmm. So that's a shamanic practice. Um, I met a Navajo uh, elder when I was presenting on my work on words um, at a conference that Omega was putting on back, I think, in the 1990s. And she was so entranced by what I was talking about because people in, in her community stopped talking about these things a long time ago. And she was dressed in her full regalia. And she asked me if I would sit down with her. And she said to me, do you know what the words walk in beauty means? And I said, no, I use them all the time, but I actually don't know what it means. It's a, it's a Navajo phrase, may you walk in beauty. And she said, what may you walk in beauty means in our culture is that you can curse people with your words or you can bless people with your words. And what are we doing? We're cursing people. We're not blessing the world. We're cursing people. We're cursing the world. We're cursing ourselves every single minute. Um, the same thing with our thoughts. Your thoughts are like a train. They end up at a station. Where are your thoughts bringing you to? The same thing with your daydreams. Whatever you're daydreaming, you're manifesting. Um, the whole world is you pushed out. Your daydreams, your thoughts, and your words are you pushed out. So these are shamanic practices that were taught to children, the first thing that was taught to children. And I think this is the most important practice that we have to bring back today is understanding the vibration of our words, our thoughts, and daydreams, and what they're actually manifesting for us. Because what we're seeing is us. We're just seeing our inner worlds. We're seeing our inner thoughts. That's all we're seeing in the world right now. Yeah, I've done an experiment uh, recently for one month to, you know, we did that with my wife and we said, okay, for one month, we're going to be very vigilant on any thoughts we have about anyone uh -huh. and not 
gossip, not have any bad intention or bad thought, or oh, this person annoys me, or this person like that, right? To be really having a diligent practice every day, all day long for one full month of just being that vibration. And I was mesmerized by the impact it had on my life. Mm. Like how the prayer became really powerful. Our manifestation was so immediate in every prayer to cultivate that vibration, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Was, yeah, it was just like mesmerizing. But, you know, even me that I've been practicing for quite a long time, not as long as you, but, you know, even I was mesmerized by doing that experiment, mm-hmm. you know, and I was like, oh, maybe I'm going to bring that to my students. Can we do one month of a break from any judgment about anything and see what happened when we do that? Yeah, it's amazing. And another um, practice that really changes people's lives is is in shamanism, everything is alive and everything has a spirit. And so, you know, we go up to trees and we just hug them. You know, we love to be tree huggers. But what I teach people what to do is to walk up to a tree that you really love and first ask permission, may I step into your field of energy? Nobody ever asks permission. They just throw themselves on a tree. How would you feel if a hundred people started coming and throwing themselves on you? So the first thing you say is, Do I have your may may I step into your field of energy? That's just polite. And then ask them about their family and their history. What What is your family like and what have you seen in your life? That creates a completely different connection. And so, like people say to me, well, I live in the city. I can't connect with the land where I live. And I go, yes, you can. Go outside, sit on the cement and say to the land, may I step into your field of energy and ask, What's your history? What have you seen over all these years? Like if you think about New York, New York a hundred years ago was all forests. I mean, it was beautiful. There was no city. Um, And so the land still has a lot to say. And when I've taught people how to do this, just like you have mesmerized about how your life changed, I'm getting the same feedback that people who talk to their land, may I step into your field of energy? What is your history? Um, Can I connect with you? Um, All of a sudden you have the land where you live, which is so powerful as an ally and a helping spirit for you. So it's another being who's always watching your back and always trying to create goodness uh, bring you the goodness of life. Yeah, and it goes really into, you know, this uh, concept, I mean, this, you know, of reciprocity, right? And in shamanism, you know, we, we definitely want to re- give first and then receive, right? But our society is completely reversed on its head down, right? We we take, right? And we, and then we pay, right? We, we give money or it's very transactional in a very different way. Right, yeah. we we kind of take and have ownership, and then maybe we give something back, right? Mm-hmm. But here there is that really practice of first giving something, right? Giving yeah. acknowledgement, giving a prayer, giving tobacco, you know, many, many things, right? 
and then we receive, which is so countercultural in the way we relate to each other, to the world today, right? Right. Yeah. 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 So, um, one of the last things I wanted to to discuss with you, Sandra. I mean, there's so many things I want to discuss with you, but <laughs> I'm trying to respect our, our time together. I can always come back another time. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to talk a little bit about the the challenge of shamanism too. The, what are the things that potentially are in the way? You know, I, I often get people that come into this work because they want to just be happy all the time. Right. or never get sick, right? Or have a life full of abundance, right? And I always say, well, there's a lot of disclaimer in this work and nobody is really reading it, that right. <laughs> it's not really about that. So can you talk a little bit about, yeah, your, your vision of it for as a life practice, but not as something that is trying to save us from the human experience basically right not to save us from from belonging with each other in a circle you know so can you talk a little bit about that maybe your experience with that or your view on that i mean it's probably something you have heard or seen i I imagine with students or people coming into that work yeah absolutely i i think that um People are really looking for a magic wand, and that's our biggest complaint from shamanic practitioners is everybody wants the magic wand. And, you know, I tell people that um, I feel sorry for people who start to study shamanism. I actually do, and I say this publicly. Um, It's a hard path. It's a really, really hard path. And the reason that it's a hard path is that once you say that you're going to be a hollow bone for the spirits, the spirits have to turn you into a hollow bone. And so you go through a series of initiations, just like the world is going through right now, where you lose, you can lose everything. But then you find out that the richness that you have within that what you lost in the outer world is not important. You built this amazing um, inner world and think about like the Grand Canyon, um, the winds coming through and sculpting the beauty. So we're sculpted by the universe. As soon as we step onto the path of shamanism, we start being sculpted by the universe to take away our false identity and get us in touch with our true light, which is the light of source, which is light of the creator. And so it's a hard path because it's a path of loss. It is a path of sickness. It is a path of um, a lot of loss, but it's a path of a lot of joy too in uh, realizing what's important and being able to see beyond what people who are stuck in technology today are missing. You get such an expanded view of life and how beautiful life is. And you learn how um, to find peace inside of yourself that is not connected to what's going on in the outer world or in your outer world. Mm. Yeah, thank you for mentioning this path of loss and <laughs> shedding and <laughs> transmutation. I think that's like you said, you know, 
when I asked my teacher to teach me 15 or 20 years ago, and I said, I really want to be your student. And he looked at me and said, do you really understand what you're asking? <laughs> yeah. That was his question. And I think that that kind of weave was probably what you're, what you're sharing here. Because I was coming, you know, probably uh, with a naive you know, not knowing, you know, at the time, probably what exactly that would mean for my life. Right. Uh, and uh, we always want to get better, right, in our society. Everything gets better and easier and all of that. And shamanism is kind of a very different way right. to relate, right? But I see, I see people who had a lot of loss, lost children, um, they're the ones who I used to pick out of my workshops for being a true shaman um, because they already suffered a loss and then they answered the call. And I find that those are the most gifted sh shamans that I've ever trained. Yeah, yeah. The heart has cracked completely open, right? Right. Yeah, yeah shamans are called wounded healers um, mm. for a reason. So. Mm. Mm. Thank you, Sandra. I know we, you know, we're at the end of our time together, and I want to be really respectful of your of your time and and of you. Um, is there one last things you want to share with people that are listening here tonight or that are listening on the recording? Maybe a message that you want to share with us to close uh, the evening together. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, I think although things look. Um, uh, pretty dark out there right now. Um, I think that we're actually moving into a really good place. And um, we really have been through a lot of sculpting. And it really is, if you can find even five minutes a day to just go inside and work with your thoughts. And what I do is... Um, I like to go inside and uh, see my inner landscape um, like a garden. So I start planting um, beautiful plants that I want to see grow. And I see my words as seeds and I plant them inside of myself. And so shamans are gardeners of energy. That was a, um, a phrase that the spirits gave me. Shamans are gardeners of energy. So what I'd like to um, inspire you to do is plant really beautiful seeds inside of yourself and outside of yourself and see how your life changes in miraculous ways by doing that. Mm. So beautiful. I can feel your words and thank you for sharing that with us, Sandra. Thank you so much for the time this evening together. Uh, yeah, thank you for sharing all this wisdom. It was such a pleasure to be with you, Sandra. And thank you for everyone that was listening. Yeah, I just uh, want to say blessings to everyone. And thank you, Angel, for the beautiful work that you do. Yeah, thank you, Sandra. And I hope we get to meet in person soon. <laughs> I put that into my prayer. Yeah, we get to, with permission, to hug each other. <laughs> Absolutely. Sounds good to me. <laughs> and thank you, everybody, for showing thank up. Thank you. Blessing, Bye. everyone. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Sanctuary Podcast. We deeply value your support. Please consider sharing this podcast with others and joining our Patreon page at patreon.com slash the sanctuary and why. Once again, it is patreon.com slash the sanctuary and why. 
At The Sanctuary, we believe that spirituality is a personal journey that takes many forms, and we honor and respect all paths to awakening and the rise of consciousness. Our mission is to provide a platform for open and honest conversations about spirituality and to inspire and empower our listeners to live their most authentic lives in good relation to each other's, the living, and invisible worlds. I look forward to connecting with you again here or at our events, retreats, and online gatherings. You can find all our offerings at thesanctuaryheal.com. Once again, it is thesanctuaryheal.com.